was just on the phone with the film commissioner and we're shooting a riot after, you know, the Capitol had a riot yesterday. So I'm a little anxious. People are going to come by and join in and think it's a real riot. It's January 7th, 2021. The Capitol riot in D.C. may have ended, but on the Don't Look Up set in Boston, there's more rioting to be done. Producers Jeff Waxman and Kevin Messick must keep the production on schedule. Only today, the world feels different. Everybody was on edge. Everybody was nervous. There was the chance of civil unrest in major cities, and we were shooting in a major city. The plan is to continue filming the scene they started yesterday, when Jennifer Lawrence says astronomer Kate DiBiaschi triggered a riot by screaming the truth, that a comet is about to destroy the planet, and the government will not save the day. A lot of this experience on this film has been life imitating art accidentally. That was just a really wild experience to be watching U.S. citizens attacking um, our own capital because of misinformation. And then we're making this movie where these characters are frustrated at misinformation (laughs) and not being able to get this point across. For months now on this movie, it's felt as if fiction and truth have been devouring each other. Now it's reached a whole other level. And it's got Adam McKay, who's worked hard to turn dark realities into comic relief, more than a bit worried. And we had a lot of questions we had to answer. We had to go through a big checklist of, are we making the right decision? Is everything safe? This is the last movie ever made. Episode 5. The Day After the Earth Caught Fire. We're in fact shooting a full-scale attack on a seafood restaurant where people lose their shit. We're going to throw things through broken glass, little fires going on. If they'd shot this just two days ago, the riot scene could have been fun, cathartic even. But not today. Boston is the state capital of Massachusetts, and the FBI has alerted the local police of every state capital to be on guard. Roads closed by law enforcement in riot gear for much of this afternoon. This coming as threats were made at the national level for armed protests at all 50 state capitals. Boston police telling us there was no specific threat here at the Massachusetts State House, but they were prepared out of an abundance of caution. Adam has made contingency plans. We may have to shut this down instantly. I'll just yell, shut it down. I told my AD she had the authority to shut it down, stunt coordinator. Everyone had the authority to just say cut and shut it down and go back to neutral places if anything uncomfortable felt like it was going to happen. It was terrifying and just really heavy and dark. And, you know, you could kind of, we could see out on the streets, there's people getting kind of excited just on the streets of Boston and just bad excited, like a lot of bad electricity in the air. For Jennifer Lawrence and the rest of the cast and crew, the challenge will be to take this bad electricity and channel it into their work. This was where the COVID lockdowns actually helped. What we had going for us with it was that the streets were empty. Places were closed. There was really no one out there. If that hadn't been the case, if stores had been open, bars had been open, if the streets had been full, we, there's no way we would have done it. I think I would have had to sit down and write a different version. It's moments before cameras roll on this fake riot. Co-producer Stacey Robert Steele surveys the scene. Here are both your mambas. 
We're about to film a riot, a rehearsal of a riot. We're watching Jeremy Fry, who is our stunt guy. Jeremy's in charge of the moment when all hell breaks loose. You have your lead actors in there, they're having a dialogue, and uh, some people kind of over here. And then, at least at this point, the plan is to then cut right to mid-right. Which I think is great. I think it's going to tie together splendidly. Jeremy Fry has been in the stunt business for 20 years. At the beginning of his career, Jeremy was a willing meat sack. The guy who'd agree to throw himself to the ground, get hit in the head with a rifle butt, or crash a car. He then honed himself into an athlete, able to stunt double for Keanu Reeves and John Wick. He's choreographed this riot to appear loose and chaotic. Producers may be afraid passersby will think this is a real riot, but Jeremy wants it to be realistic. What I really hope for is that when they're watching the Bojo Mambo scene, I hope that they are watching it and feeling like they're watching a riot. We've got two different fake car accidents, two cars rammed up against each other. There's a bunch of background cops that I keep thinking are real cops. Oh, and there's also a car and there's a guy on top of the car just ready to riot. Does he do a backflip off of the car? Yes. Okay, realistic plus backflips. I asked Adam, what do you want to see? Do you want to see guys like really getting worked over? You know, guys getting choked out kind of stuff? And he said, yeah, it should be, you know, if 10 is just all out, you know, nuclear war and one is kind of like a a slapping party, this is kind of like a, a seven or an eight. And special effects, let's go ahead and bring up the fire. All right, guys, we are hot here. We're hot. On the street, flames burst out of cars. Smoke, fire, water, and blood are four things that are just tough to fake. When you see real fire, like, it's, it's beautiful. It's unpredictable. It dances. It does its own thing. The man in charge of this controlled chaos is special effects coordinator Corey Kendrilly. And uh, it really does give just some great life to the shot when you really see those scenes of people running back and forth and they're passing that fire like it that's really on fire right there you know so it's a, it's a cool little thing to see and it really does give a lot of life to a shot that just is just pandemonium you know we had a girl getting kind of thrown off a table through an open window and onto the ground we had a couple of people throwing a table through a window that was rigged to pop we really only did two takes of the high-level rioting, it was very refreshing not to beat guys up and girls up unnecessarily. Yes, everyone on set is safe. The shots are in the can. And their fake riot didn't trigger a real one. But there's little time to rest. There's another challenge ahead. And feathers will fly. More on that after the break. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Because Riley Bina's final album is out now. Featuring your favorite hits like Just Look Up,
and other instant, never-before-heard classics like TTYN, We're Donezo, Later, Haters, Sing It To My Face, Ever Have I Never, Seek Me, Found You, Metro Heartbeat in 5 8 Time, Crypto Mama, Enemies With Benefits, Sunshine Queen, and Just Look Up, DJ The Freak Remix. The world may be ending, but there's plenty of time to dance. Thanks to Riley Bean's final album, available now. Get it while supplies and planet Earth last. What's the next thing we're doing that's keeping you up at night? So I know everything is stressful. Ready? We say it in what? One, two, three. The concert. <laughs> it's Monday morning, January 11th. With the riot behind them, producers Kevin Messick and Jeff Waxman are mustering their powers of movie magic to stage a stadium concert to save humanity. Only, they don't have a stadium or thousands of screaming fans, so for the last 10 days, they've been scrambling to put the pieces together. Adam was outside this zone of pressure, but he could still feel its ripple effects. I think the lead-up to it was a ton of logistics and stress, so I think a lot of department heads were freaking out. One of the reasons for all this freaking out was that the plan for this big scene was still up in the air, mere days before Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi would step into the frame. The concert sequence was a big question mark up until the 11th hour. It was a struggle to figure out what were the pieces that we needed from a practical point of view. How does Ariana come in? What does the band look like? What does the stage look like? What's it going to look like with our visual effects? Just a million challenges that we just... Honestly, with all the other issues that we were tackling on the film, we hadn't been able to kind of wrangle it all. The concert is not a long sequence, but it plays a key role in the movie. And for it to work, it has to feel real in the midst of the unreal. Filming what will probably be two, three minutes of the movie as the most amazing rock concert as the comet's hurtling towards the earth and they're asking for the, the world to rise up. Yeah, just the pressure. The world has seen rock concerts try to mobilize humanity to take collective action in the past. Kevin and Adam were teenagers in 1985 when the biggest concert ever was so big, it took place on two continents at once. It's 12 noon in London, 7 a.m. in Philadelphia, and around the world it's time for Live Aid, 16 hours of live music in aid of famine relief in Africa. Over those 16 hours, 1.5 billion people, yes, billion, Tuned in to watch Elton John, Queen, Madonna, Run DMC, Sade, The Beach Boys, The Who, David Bowie, and 67 other acts draw attention to the food crisis in Africa. The simultaneous concerts ended with Do They Know It's Christmas and We Are the World, supergroup anthems that together reportedly raised millions. But Adam McKay is skeptical about this kind of thing. You know, I think we know that these fundraising concerts very, very rarely relate to any kind of like systemic change. And and I still think they should keep happening, but that's kind of what this concert is. It's the concert to save all of mankind, but it's still just a concert. So yeah, it's supposed to be kind of breathtaking and awe-inspiring and exciting and at the same time, a little bit lame. (laughs) 
because of the pandemic, shooting in London at Wembley Stadium wasn't an option. And because of the Boston winter, shooting outdoors in Fenway Park was also not an option. So they'll have to fake it, movie style. The producers scout for a location that they can transform into a packed outdoor stadium using visual effects. After some searching, they find a suitable warehouse. Crisis averted. Or so they thought. Turns out the warehouse was overrun by a flock of pigeons. How do you film a concert sequence that's supposed to be in Wembley Stadium? The character that Ariana Grande plays, Riley Bina, singing the song to save the planet. How do you pull that off with a hundred extras in a musty warehouse with birds in the rafters (laughs) and nobody really but her on stage? Executive producer Jeff Waxman must get the birds out. What we did is we hired a trapper and I paid the guy to build a bird's nest, a coop for pigeons, because he said if even if he sent them to California, they would fly back there. After three or four weeks, we caught all of them. He is now holding and charging us $60 a day to board these pigeons. And at the end of the shoot, we're going to let them free. Another crisis averted. Now to choreograph the show. Producer Kevin Messick is on the hunt for someone who can think live aid big, Super Bowl big. This concert director, designer who does Super Bowl halftime shows, mm-hmm. we'd asked Ariana's team, like, who's a guy that brings it all together? What happens minute to minute, beat for beat, mm-hmm. over three minutes of the song? Kevin found his way to Jamie King. I'm Jamie King, and I am the concert designer. As a child in Verona, Wisconsin, Jamie King was obsessed with the holy trinity of 80s pop stars. Prince, Michael Jackson, and Madonna. By 21, he was hired to tour with one of his idols. I danced with Michael Jackson on the Dangerous Tour. That led me to choreographing and being creative director for Prince for three and a half years. That led to many years with Madonna. Holy Trinity complete. Amen. It was Jamie King who had the idea that Madonna should kiss Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera at the MTV Movie Awards in 2003. And it was Jamie who directed two Super Bowl halftime spectaculars, including the one where Madonna entered the stadium dressed as a golden goddess on a chariot pulled by 150 shirtless gladiators. So yes, Jamie can handle the job. Adam had a vision about, you know, finding Ariana floating in space, suspended, if you will. So I followed that form. And when we find Ariana, she's suspended. We don't really know where she is, but it feels like she's in space. Also with lighting and projections, you know, onto her beautiful white flowing dress. It's really extending that environment of like, it feels like she's in the middle of nowhere. From her space void, Ariana... Or to be exact, her character, the pop star Riley Bina, descends down to earth in her long flowing dress and glides across the stage onto a moving runway. Jamie is imagining a graceful angel. Touching his angel down on stage, however, is complicated. It's a big dress, lots of mechanics with the dress, feathers, Ariana singing live, we have Kid Cudi rapping, she's suspended, then she's flying down, now she's being, you know, transported from one part of the stage to another. Now, it's time to rehearse. Adam is in his plexiglass box. 20 feet in front of him, there are 100 extras spread out, getting into position. And in front of them is the stage. The stage itself is 65 feet wide, with a massive video screen curving around the back with a giant image of the comet and the Earth, poised as though they're about to kiss. 
Jamie has arranged a stark, dramatic production. No gladiators, no backup dancers, just a few musicians and this giant image of space for Ariana the star to inhabit. A pop star is a fantastical creation, a person who does things and wears things the ordinary person cannot. To be real, they must be so real. Ariana knows this well, and she's asked the hair department to give her a hairstyle that's out of this world. I wanted Riley to kind of have a consistent space blend, space braid theme. Um, I don't know why. I think it was just because of the comet and like the kind of like spacey vibe and her being like, I have a tattoo of a shooting star on my back. I was like, okay, maybe she likes space things. The space-themed hair was easy compared to the other part of Ariana's look, the dress. Her character, Riley Bina, is wearing a couture creation by Valentino that looks like a lollipop for a cat. That headache weighed heavily on producer Kevin Messick. That one choice of that costume started to drive every other decision. On the stage, where she is, is she coming in from above? How does that work? Uh, Which was the source of more than a little frustration. (laughs) Her torso is a ball of feathers. Her legs, and another 10 feet past her legs, are veiled in a long white train that is itself a part of Jamie's choreography and part of costume designer Susan Matheson's original vision. I requested fans, some even kind of like wire that could be used to lift the dress and move the dress as Ariana was being transported from the main stage down the runway, just to give it like a flow and to make it feel really fluid and very heavenly. Heavenly, not earthly, right? I think that's actually a good way to describe this performance. It needed to be ethereal, heavenly, not earthly in any way. So keeping that kind of fairy tale idea alive. So we started off testing it in my department with regular Home Depot-style fans. And we had people in my department holding the dress and the fans and seeing what the wind did. Then we tested it on the stage. And I kept saying to special effects, we need more wind, more wind. And I think I drove them a little bit mad. But ultimately, I think it's my job to make sure that it's fantastic. Special effects coordinator Corey Kendrilli safely created fire and pandemonium for the riot scene. Now, he's in charge of the fans to pull off Susan's vision. The issue is that the Valentino dress is a fragile object, not intended to be purchased or really even worn. In fact, it never even landed on a runway. It's only ever been suspended in air. So the dress that we got was a double that wasn't the same fabric. So every time we would test it, we put a guy in the dress. As our test dummy, he was our Ariana Grande test dummy, and it looked great. Everybody approved on it, but the problem was it wasn't the dress that we needed. So on the day of the actual concert shoot, Corey's unable to swear to Adam McKay that his fans can make the dress work. This is the sort of anxious situation that has, in the past, driven Adam to chain smoke. However, today, he's remarkably calm. From his plexiglass box, he gives his cast and crew the go-ahead. It's time for the concert to start. There's a big moment, weeks and weeks of preparation, all for this incredible live performance with the biggest pop star in the world, one of the biggest rappers in the world. Uh, This incredible set, all these award-nominated people, and first take. We were on stage, ready to sing, ready to go, and holding our mics, which were hot. And then all of a sudden, there's this loud crackling. Crackly, papery, 
aluminum foil sound. I like hear this like. So we all of a sudden heard this like. And then you see Ariana like look to Cuddy like that wasn't me like what because she's holding a mic. She's like, did you hear that? She's like, that was weird. And there's silence for probably ten seconds. <laughs> I forgot to turn my mic off. I opened my little pack of Nicorette lozenges and everything stops. And then all of a sudden, Adam was like, oh, sorry, I'm opening a lozenger. And I guess he was like crackling and crinkling the paper into the mic. The baritone, sorry about that, Ariana. That was me and my Nicorette gum. And then everyone broke into laughter. I said, uh, sorry, I'm trying to quit smoking. And I just hear Kid Cuddy go, uh, I got a great hypnotist on the west side of L.A. if you want him. I, I said, is his name Kerry Gaynor? And he goes, yeah, how'd you know? I was like, I've been to him three times. <laughs> the effect of this break in the action was something like allowing laughter in a church. A release of tension when you didn't realize quite how tense you were. And now the show can go on. As Ariana lowers from the sky, a nervous Corey Candrilli cues the fans. But the dress doesn't move. Turns out he was right to be worried. The test fabric he'd been forced to use proved to be all wrong. On the day, it just did things differently than the test, and we really had to on the fly figure it out. So they're in my ear like, what happened with the dress? How come this didn't happen? How come it didn't move? How come it I'm like, we're trying everything. We puppeteered it at one point. We, uh, we had strings and mono on cables above the stage where people were pulling it to lift it. There was, a, there was a lot going into it. At last, Corey makes the dress fly. That dress is like the bane of our existence. Oh my God. Like somebody just brought it up. I was talking about a day I had on set and it was a little stressful. And he goes, was it as worse as the dress? I'm like, nothing was as worse as that dress. Jamie's vision is vindicated. Now, did any issues come up? Sure, it's production. I mean, it kind of always happens. So does it always work the first time? No, I'm not going to tell you how many times we had to try it before we got it right. Just know that it took a few times. But in the end, I thought it looked beautiful. The concert is a wrap. And despite the snow outside, the weeks of stress melt away as producer Kevin Messick breathes a sigh of relief. On January 1st, we had a big meeting trying to pull all the pieces together. And on January... 11th, we rehearsed it, and on January 13th, we shot it, and it turned out fucking great. It was so nice to hear it singing all day. It made every, yeah. every take, except the wides at the end. And Kid Cudi was equally amazing. I think we both were really excited to perform and kind of missed it. It had been a year at that point, and of course, being hung in the air for half of the day was so much fun. The harness was a part of me. Man, that was, it was really crazy. Like, she was hoisted up 30 feet in the air and was just, like, up there waiting for each take. Watching her, I was just like, yo, she's such a pro. She's such a trooper. Watching her sing it over and over and just do it flawlessly was just, it was crazy to see. And it just looked super effortless for her. It was definitely fun. And then it was really fun to go to bed after. <laughs> With two of the film's most difficult scenes in the can, the cast and crew can rest a little easier. The finish line is in sight. After hardship comes hope. Next week, Don't Look Up will finally wrap. How many times have I already cried today, Elaine? About three times. But not before a kiss. It blows my mind that I'm going to be like 
open mouth kissing somebody in the in the next week. I'm just like, how does that work? Like, <laughs> I haven't even shared a water bottle with somebody. That's next time on the last movie ever made. When our story ends with a literal bang. The Last Movie Ever Made is a production of Netflix Film, Hyper Object Industries, and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Emmanuel Hapses, Gabrielle Lewis, Stacey Robert Steele, Danielle Waxman, Sophie Bridges, and Alexis Moore. Our editor is Darby Maloney. The show is narrated by Emmanuel Hapses. Our theme song is by Nicholas Bertel. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Hannes Brown with additional music from Epidemic Sound. The show is written by R. Roosevelt. Fact-checking by Charlotte Gadu. Executive producers at HyperObject Industries are Adam McKay, Harry Nelson, and Claire Slaughter. Executive producers at Pineapple Street Studios are Barry Finkel, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Don't Look Up is streaming now on Netflix. Follow at Netflix Film on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs>